Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you, as always, by our friends from ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart? Not having Mark Stein on your podcast for a long time. What the hell am I thinking? He's one of our greatest guests. You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter finds people the right skills for your job. They actively invite them to apply. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's uh, NFL season heading toward the playoffs. Games are heating up. They're heating up on the Yahoo Sports mobile app. You can watch them live on your phone, the best local NFL games and primetime NFL games for the rest of this season. The Yahoo Sports mobile app. Wherever the holidays take you, you won't have to miss a thing. That is worth celebrating, my friends. Download the Yahoo Sports mobile app and make this an NFL season to remember. We're also brought to you by two podcasts that I'm on this week. House of Cards or Joe House. When are we putting that one up, Kyle? Uh, right after yours. Oh, really? Yeah, Tonight? A lot of pots today. Uh, House and I talked about two great meals I had in New York City and then desserts. We talked about basically desserts, Korean food, and Italian food, and what makes for the perfect Italian restaurant. So listen to House of Carbs or subscribe, and you'll hear all that. And then we are putting up the rewatchables. I think Thursday morning, The Firm, you're going to want to listen to this one, even if you're not a huge Firm fan, because there's a lot of Tom Cruise, Wilford Brimley. It just gets super crazy. Uh, so check those two out and check out our new podcast, Winging It. Vince Carter, Kent Bazemore, Andy Finberg, breaking down life in uh, in the NBA. Coming up, Mark Stein, and then we're going to talk to Chris Ryan about the Markov Fultz thing because that just broke. So that's going to be at the tail end right after the Mark Stein part, which is over an hour, and it's really good. But first, Pearl Jam. <laughs> Hey, before we get to Mark Stein, just want to tell you next week, December 11th, I'm going to be plugging this every time I have a podcast from now until then, Tuesday night, HBO, Momentum Generation, a documentary that I got involved with pretty late, but it's fantastic. It is uh, directed and conceived of by the Zimbalist brothers who did the two Escobars on 30 for 30, which is one of the best 30 for 30s we ever did. It is about uh, Kelly Slater and the whole surfing generation and how they grew up in Hawaii. And I mention this because I really want you to watch this. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever been involved with. And uh, it's fantastic. So set your DVRs. I'm just, I'm planting the seed every time we do a podcast from now until Tuesday night. I really want you to watch this one. Um, you should trust my taste at this point. I don't know what else to tell you. Watch this one. Momentum Generation, December 11th. HBO. All right, let's bring in Mark Stein. On the line right now, my first podcast guest ever, spring 2007. It wasn't even called the BS Report yet. It was called Eye of the Sports Guy, which sounds like a Bravo series. Uh, Mark Stein was on that one. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't remember what we talked about. I have no idea how long it went. Uh, I think it was probably awkward. 
um, I'm much more accomplished now. I'm at least semi-competent now at doing this. Mark Stein now writing for the New York Times. Neither of us are at ESPN. How is that for an intro, Mark Stein? Very good. I'm pretty sure I told you back in 07 that I think I said even then, if I'm your first guest, this thing is doomed. So I'm glad I was wrong. Yeah, you were you were really wrong. It was not doomed. It's been very fun. And, and uh, I'm now in year 12. Podcasts have taken up. When we started that, First one, and I think you, it was either you or Chad Ford was the impetus because I heard you or Chad interview Danny Ainge on ESPN.com and they said like podcast and it was like just this 30 minute interview. Was that you or was that Chad? I think it, it had to be Chad. It wasn't me. Yeah. So I heard that and I was like, how do I get one of these? And then, and like a week later, they just sent me the equipment. I hooked it up and then. I don't. I either emailed you or texted you. I don't even remember if we were texting back then. And I was like, "Yeah, you just wanted to. You just wanted to talk hoop." Yeah, and I was and, like, "Hey, come on, reason, this." For some reason, I was the only guy who was available. But no, that's not, not true at all. A, now you have a cadre of people who voiced your theories upon. Yeah, that is true. I do have a cadre. Yeah, I. Th- I was like, I think I said, "Just come on, we'll talk hoops." I think the 07 lottery was coming up and the play, and then we just kind of did our thing. So you are in the heart of Luka land. My beloved Luka Doncic, my, my, uh, is he Croatian or Serbian? He's Croatian, right? Slovenian. Slovenian. My Slovenian Get your son. Balkan countries right Yeah, now. God, I got to work on that. My Slovenian son, Luka Doncic, I, uh, I went all in on him this summer. I went nuts when two teams passed on him and then Atlanta traded his rights. And uh, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. I'm really proud of this one. I was all in. He actually has a chance to make the all-star team. What has Lucamania been like in Dallas? It's his team already, man. That's that's the crazy thing. You know, this is still Dirk's town. And I've lived in Dallas for 21 years, basically, except for one year that I lived in beautiful central Connecticut. And... I always say Dirk is bigger. He, 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 he's arguably bigger than any cowboy. Obviously, cowboys, the cowboys will always be kings here. Football will always rule. But I don't know that there's any one cowboy that you can put ahead of Dirk. That's how synonymous he is with Dallas sports. But Dirk is still playing. He's still active. And the Mavericks are Luka Doncic's team. I did not see that coming before Christmas of his rookie season. And he's 19 years old. I, I, I did not see it coming, but I also wouldn't have been surprised because I really thought people underrated how hard the EuroLeague thing that he did last year was. He ended up playing like 90 games. Um, he played against, he played in a competitive league with really good, angry crowds all over the place where you have to compete. Your life's like a, just a tad bit in danger. And he was like the crunch time guy for this team that won the title at age 18. It seemed crazy to me that, that people were picking him apart. I just didn't understand it. I thought, and he won Eurobasket too. I mean, to me, yeah. that might even be more impressive that he and, you know, a team that had, you know, they had other good players and Dragic obviously made the all-star team last year, but you know, he was the driving force of that team and little Slovenia wins Eurobasket, which is insane in international hoop circles. Look, I think you know this about me, but for those that don't, I, I don't watch college hoops at all. Apart yep. from my beloved Cal State Fullerton and paying attention to Big West, I will not watch one second of Duke, 
Zion, Rowan Barrett's kid. All you like, I just, I just, my philosophy always is, I will wait till these guys get to the NBA. But Luca's actually the guy that I knew in the draft last year because I do follow European basketball to a degree. I've actually seen him play a EuroLeague game. We went on a family trip to Madrid a couple of years ago, and I actually got to see him play for Real Madrid. And yeah, I mean, this guy, the EuroLeague is the highest level outside of the NBA. It doesn't have the athleticism, obviously, but hostile environment, playing with huge stakes. And I mean, he'd been there since he was like 14. Yeah. So he... I mean, that's the thing. When you talk to Dirk about Luca, he just, he was so much more ready for this than Dirk was. Everyone wants to compare them and just say, oh, Dirk will pass the torch and he's the mentor. But like, if you compare their lead ups to coming into this league, I mean, you know, Dirk couldn't have been less ready and Luca couldn't have been more ready. Right. And you know that the EuroLeague stuff, going against adults, going against, physical players going against cheap shot artists and people who have all these tricks playing on playing in weird stadiums with fans who are just really pissed off and, and really festive and trying to knock you out of your game. There's really nothing like it, you know? And then on top of it, the, the amount of games that they have to play per year, I think that's the biggest, the hardest thing I think for college players when they come in, is going from that you know, 35 game season to the 82 game season. hundred percent. Right. I mean, I mean he played he had, like 90, an extra 30 games. Yeah. It's he, an extra 30 games. Um, and if you even go back to the nineties, when, you know, all the greats from Europe were coming over, you know, the Euro league was much smaller back then. You know, they were playing, you know, 10, 12 extra games. You're not 30 and Porzingis benefited from it. Yeah. And Luca benefited from it. They already went to another country and learned how to do that before they came to the States. When Nowitzki got here, he didn't even know how to write a check. He didn't know how to fill out a restaurant bill. But these guys went from small countries in Eastern Europe to big clubs in Spain, which you know Spain has really become the best league outside of the NBA. And so they already learned how to make that transition to adulthood before they got here. And, and I think that's, kind of an underrated part of both of their success. Well, and also being on teams with 35-year-old people and 29-year-old teammates and people who are as good as they're ever going to be and people who are threatened by you. And you, you're you dealing with things that if you're in college, like the situation Zion's in right now, the other two best players on his team are both the same age he is. They're both freshmen. He's he knows he's there for eight months. Everybody's catering to every single thing he he. Had. And by the way, I love Zion. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying he's in a really kind of cushy situation. There's some pressure, but for the most part, he knows it's it's just this little pass, and he's with people his own age. Luca's experience was completely different. That was one reason I thought he was going to succeed. And then, you know, he already had the step back jumper. If you all you have to do is watch the YouTube clips last year, he had an elite NBA move that was going to translate into the NBA. I don't care who he's playing against. That's That was in a top-of-the-line NBA move. And then the vision was the other thing. He already knew how to do these sophisticated driving kick passes and, you know, go, go into the lane and then find people in corners that you don't even know how he saw them. Um, he is so advanced at that. Have you seen in Dallas? I mean, you were there for Nash. How would you compare the Nash 
Luca kind of vision? Well, it's funny. I remember vividly in June that I talked to a Western Conference executive, and they were like, and I said, "What is you know, I'm I'm pro Luca. I'm biased. You tell me more objective. What is this guy's best case scenario?" And they said, six foot eight, Steve Nash." And I'm like, "Man, that is a, that is a lofty right projection. You really think? I mean, that's a lot to ask this kid. And this guy's like, best case scenario, yes, and." I got to be honest, as, as good as he is and with everything we've said in the preseason, he looked shaky. Yeah. I mean, they played the Beijing Ducks. And, and in that game, I remember the, the pro three looked long for him. And even just getting his steps right, it was he was, he, you know, in the preseason, he was taking one extra step that I think he got away with in Europe. He was getting called for travels. And I was like, Man, I you know the way everybody's been raving about the way he looked in pickup games before camp. I, I thought he was going to look better than this, but the minute the season starts, it just if you go under, he hurts you. If you go over, he hurts you. Like he just the kid, nothing bothers him. Yeah, it, it, he just is so unflappable, and he's nineteen. Just it just doesn't make sense. And he's got a little bit of a nasty edge, right? He's gotten into it a couple times with with guys on the other team, and it's not it's not like he's some soft, you know, the stereotypical soft Euro type guy. Like he, I feel like he has a little bit of an edge. He reminds me more like well, Gallinari. And, you know, I, Dirk pointed this out, and I think he's 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 exactly right. One another big benefit that that Luca has is it's a different league. When Dirk came in twenty years ago. Remember what prototypical fours were. It was Carl Malone. Yeah. I mean, Duncan was still playing next to Robinson and Dirk got thrown around like a ragdoll with the way the game is called now. And you can't be as physical as you were even five years ago or 10 years ago. That plays into his hands too. Not because of any softness or anything, but just the way the game is called, it favors offensive players. And it just, it's just one more thing that's helping him make this transition. Yeah. Poor Dirk came in in the late nineties during the NBA's hidden steroids era that nobody's ever going to acknowledge or write about. But that was like in every sport, they, they just go look at, look at the size of the dudes we had back then. And look at the size of the guys. Now it's, it's a much more kind of sleek athletic league. Now I think if you, I saw, I remember seeing Dirk his rookie year. So that was what? 97, nine. Oh, that was, that was the lockout season, right? The lockout. Year, yeah. 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 I don't know if I saw him in person that first. It was the first or second year. And he was clearly something. But it did seem like he was so tall and skinny. It was kind of hard to imagine where it was going. You know, like he clearly had a beautiful shot. But at that point in time, it it was very traditional. Centers, power forward, super physical, like you said. A lot of low post. And it was like, how does this guy, how... How would this work if he was the best player on a title team? And then I think by year three, all of a sudden it made a shitload of sense. But I, I remember the tall and skinny thing, just just being skeptical. I'm not skeptical of Luka Doncic, well, well, is my point. Say that I'm, you know, I'm proud about being right about that one, but right is relative. I never can sit here and say I thought he was going to be an all-time great, that he was going to revolutionize his position and score 30,000 points and all that stuff. I mean, there's, you know, nobody predicted that 20 years ago, but I did think he was going to be an all-star because my, my feeling was I, I had actually got to go to Germany and see him during the lockout. So I kind of saw him before he even got to Dallas. 
And when I watched him there, I just said, what this guy has, you can't. The shooting, there's never been a seven-footer who shoots like this guy. He'll learn all the other stuff. So I did think he could be an all-star. But some, a friend of mine actually asked me last week, when did you think he was going to be an all-time great? And I, I can't even, I, I mean, when they beat San Antonio in, in, in Game 7 in 06, I mean, what Dirk has become has exceeded all rational expectations. Yeah, it seemed like at the very, I remember when he was coming to the draft and we, my dad and I were really rooting for the Celtics to get him. We had no idea that Paul Pierce was going to follow us, but there was a lot of bird buzz with him, remember? And it was like, this is, he's German bird. He's got, but at that point we didn't have YouTube. You just had, you kind of had to trust. If you even think about how, like, so that was nine, the spring of 98 when he played the hoop summit game and went for, you know, 32 or whatever it is, you know. I think it was Bird who told Jackie McMullen, if you watch this tape, you think this guy's going to be the best player ever. But even with that level of buzz, the draft was three months later, and there were still not, you know, Dirk wasn't nearly talked about like it would. I mean, could you imagine that now? Can you imagine if some kid plays like that in the Hoop Summit in March? That's all we'll talk about until the (laughs) draft comes. I just looked it up as we were talking because I – Dirk, they didn't come to Boston in the lockout year. The game I saw was his second season. He had 26, but he had two rebounds. But the, he played 30 minutes. But listen to the starting lineup. This will be near and dear to your heart. Robert Pack and Eric Strickland as the guards. Steve Nash coming off the bench. Uh, as well as Seth Sabalos also coming off the bench. Nowitzki playing center, I guess. Michael Finley. And then your fifth starter, who had 16 rebounds that night and played 40 minutes, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. How many games longest, did he play for them? The longest 12 games of my beat writing life. Oh, my Dennis God. Dennis Rodman is a Dallas Maverick. Didn't even remember. forty. He played 40 minutes in a game for the Mavericks? No recollection of this. Um, he used to shower before games, but not after. What a, what a dude. Oh, what my a, God. What a, what hey, a character. Um. I want, let's hold that thought about Dirk in the Dallas Pantheon. Cause I want to come back to that. Cause that's a great conversation. The Doncic in June, in June. So Dallas wins the title in 2011. Dirk gets his belated um, recognition as one of the greats. And now I think he's one of the, I think he's in the top 16. If I, if I made my top 20 list, he's somewhere 16, 17. I think he passed Malone. I think he passed Barkley. I think he might've even passed Julius Irving. Um, but then the, the next five, six years, frustrating, try the, you know, going back to Tyson Chandler leaving the next eight, not just, five. or yeah, I guess next eight, they were never able to really properly defend the title. It became clear about four years ago that they were just complete, completely wasting Dirk's post prime. They took a lot of swings. Rondo come, comes in and out through there and, Made some big signings. Wes Matthews coming off an Achilles. That didn't work. They really paid for Harrison Barnes, who I actually will... Not a bad thing to have Harrison Barnes on your team. You just don't want to pay him $24 million. They went through the DeAndre Jordan car wash and, and came out covered in uh, soap. And then finally get him this year, probably a couple of years too late. It Everything they did just either didn't work or they had bad luck or poor vision or whatever you want to say. And then this Doncic thing makes up for it. Did they know immediately that that was going to be a transformative trade or were they just hoping? I think they, 
they can't say that they knew for sure, but look, Donnie Nelson, it, you know, he's a Donnie Nelson player. You know, Donnie Nelson is the one, you know, Don Nelson will admit it. Donnie Nelson is the one who found Dirk, who pushed for Nash. And yeah, I mean, this is, you know, Cuban. I told him the other day, he's won the lottery again. Like he, you know, now the Mavs finally have a post Dirk future. Yeah. And, and in this, this one guy is, is, you know, cause it, you need three great players at least to comp- to really compete for championships. I think we all know that and, and agree with that. So there's still miles from that. But if this really is Dirk's last year, no matter what happens, no matter who else is on that roster, you've got Doncic, you've got a piece that your fans are going to be excited about. Who's going to keep the building full. Someone who Dirk can actually hand the torch to. I mean, you know, they gave up a lot for him. I mean, everybody wants to just crush the Hawks. And I know you've been, you've been at the front of that line, but you know, let's see what they get with this other pick Dallas sent them. I mean, so it's, you know, no. It did cost the math no. a lot. No, I'm not. I'm not accepting that. <laughs> I knew I'm just that. not. That was a horrible trade. That my number one goal, if I have a basketball team, is to get somebody who can be the best player on a title team. That's it. I don't care what what you can throw any other trade. Like, oh, I get this. I'm going to get these extra picks. Like, whatever. Doncic was a trans. I felt like he was a transformative prospect. The other people who worked at the ringer, Kevin O'Connor, Charks, Dana Chadwick, we were all like, what's going on? How is it? This guy's really not going to go first. It seemed inexplicable. I didn't know he was going to be as, as accomplished as he is right away. I mean, this is, he's averaging 20 points a game, but um, I just. So you're feel, Phoenix, you take Doncic. You're, you're running the Suns, you take Doncic. I, that's, at le- that's at least defensible to me because Aiton is a potential all-star center and I personally would have taken Doncic. I, I wouldn't have even blinked because now I have Booker and I have Doncic and those guys can play together. Sacramento, the funny thing is I actually like Bagley. Um, I don't think in a million years they should have taken him over Doncic. And it's crazy to think of how much fun he would be on that Sacramento team. But that wasn't defensible and that was indefensible. But then you get to Atlanta at three, a team with no identity whatsoever. Who has a, who has never really had, you know, an all time all time guy? I would say Neek is probably, you know, the best player they've had. Maybe he's like, I don't know, the sixtieth best player of all time. They've never had no, like. We gotta have him in the top fifty. 50? I, I don't. I, I don't remember where I had him. Yeah, he's in the 50s, 60s. Um, but they've just never had a transformative guy. And to go all in on Trey Young with this whole, we want to be Golden State and he's our Curry. It's like, ah, that's, see, he's had a pretty different life than so Steph Curry. So when they Curry. get the next Donovan Mitchell with a number 12 pick in the next draft, that's not going to make you change your mind? No, I want them to trade that pick to the Celtics for Jalen Brown, but we can talk about that later. I think the interesting thing about what's happening with the Mavs right now, you don't have your pick if you're the Mavs. Why not use the West Matthews expiring contract to try to make the playoffs? Like you're in the middle of the road anyway. Look, they are, I'll tell you this, they are looking and they want to do something. There yeah. is no question about that. You know, Donnie Nelson is always active. And so, you know, they've got chips, 
you know, I don't, I don't think it's materialized clearly what's out there yet. We're not even into December 15th, but they're, they're always on the lookout to do something. But I would also say, what is the rush? Because, okay, you make the playoffs in the West. So you get your bait, your brain kicked in in the first round. Like there's also some value to seeing what you have. They barely played 20 games. Do they really know what they have yet? They got to figure out, can Dennis Smith play next to Doncic or is that a no, no hope? Do we have to move Dennis Smith? I think Harrison Barnes has played great this season. And I think he's, he's, you know, that, you know, people point to that contract. I think he's lived up to it in Dallas in tough circumstances where he's had to be the guy a lot of the time. And I yeah, you know, set, settle down. I, I would not be in a rush to run away from him. So hold on. I, I have I think to you're still figuring out. Hold on. I have to go to the, the store and buy you some settled down juice. Harrison Burns makes $25 <laughs> million a year. Hold on. That's I have not a, outrageous in today's NBA. Yeah, it's a little outrageous. Hold on. We get to take a break. Let's talk about hotel tonight. Here's a little insider travel secret. From our friends over there, there are tons of empty hotel rooms waiting to be booked. They've partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell. Those unsold rooms, you get incredible deals. That's why they call it Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you love. They'll even give you short profiles of each hotel complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings, book in advance, spontaneous weekend getaways. Three-day weekends, vacations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, whatever you want. I thought I was doing that this weekend. My daughter has a has a soccer tournament in Irvine, California, and I was ready to stay there, but she's got some birthday parties Saturday night and uh, wanted to come back. So instead of getting to stay in Irvine and go to the Irvine Spectrum, one of my favorite outdoor malls, now driving back to LA because my daughter doesn't want to hang out with me anymore. To start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app right now. I love talking about this Dallas thing. So you say, I don't know what the rush is. Why Why would they go for the playoffs to get their brains beaten in? First of all, there's no great West team other than the Warriors. And who the hell knows where they're going to be in April? I mean, we you, you could present any scenario to me and I would believe it. Um, that's one thing. Second... They actually have two different trades they can make. There's a way for them to upgrade their team in a really significant way. So they have the Wesley Matthews contract that's an expiring, and it's it's I think he makes like 17 or 18. You can go out and get somebody who's a legitimate asset for that. Like, I mean, they could go to the Knicks right now and say, We'll take Hardaway back, get him off your books for next year. You can spend a, a shitload of money. Hardaway, by the way, is is a legitimate scorer now. I, I saw him in person on Saturday. I'm impressed by him. Like he, he's somebody that could be in the, out there in crunch time on good teams. I feel like, um, but they could say we'll take back Hardaway's contract. We'll take that off the books. Give us Frank Nitalikinka. Nitalikinka. Frankie smokes. It ain't that hard. Nitalikinka. Nitalikinka. Nila Kinka. Who I still love, who I still love, by the way. Me too. I'm in on him. He's 6'6", and he's a phenomenal he defender. Shoot, but he's got that Great. Rondo body. I still like him. I'm in on him too. And by the way, who's a better fit next to Doncic? Because he can guard, you know, he can cover up on some defensive sides. God, you've, you've been bugging my phone. It's pretty scary when we say the exact same thing. Now I'm wor- Now I'm officially worried. So you put, you do Hardaway. We'll take Hardaway's contract. Fine. Give us Frankie Smokes. 
and we'll give you the West Matthews expiring contract and our second round pick, whatever. Um, and if you're the Knicks, you got to think about that because all they care about is KD this summer and making a run at him. And they they feel like they have a real chance to get him. And I think the fans want it and the media wants it. And if the Warriors win again, there's a case to be made. He won three straight. Now he's got to go have his own team, go to the Big Apple. The biggest challenge left in sports is to turn the Knicks around. And you want to have that cap space. So the other thing is Hardaway makes them a little too good for the Zion sweepstakes. And that's another thing they have to think about is, you know, between Fisdale, who coaches his ass off every game, and some of these different dudes, like, you, you got to figure out, do you want the ninth pick? Like, if you put Zion in MSG, I think that would be my number one non-Boston sports wish for the Knicks to get Zion. Because I went to a game on Saturday night and their fans were losing their shit over Emmanuel Moutier and Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson. And they were acting like it was game seven of the finals. If you put Zion in there, it's all over. So I really hope that happens. But anyway, so if the, let's say they get Hardaway for that, Hardaway and, and Frankie Smokes for just that uh, expiring, they still have the Dennis Smith card to play. And this is another philosophical discussion. I know the Mavs fans... This is the number one topic right now. Can Dennis Smith play with Doncic? Or is Dennis Smith a winning player? And it's a tough one, I think, for people who work for the Mavs and just people who follow the team because he's a really good kid and people like him. I'm not sure he's a winning player. I'm not sure he makes sense in 2019 and beyond. And I'm not sure he makes sense with with Doncic. And I also think he has a lot of trade value. So my question is, is that a two two step deal where you then turn him into something else that can help you either a little more immediately or you take a chance on somebody else's lottery pick like Josh Jackson who's getting buried in Phoenix or whoever? Um, is that a two step move? And would are, have I now talked you into this? Here's the thing: I think the Matt. Look, we all know that there's almost no one who has done worse in free agency over the last two decades than the Mavs. Yeah. Every time they've had cap space, they've struck out somehow. But I think they do want to go into the summer with cap space if they can. And now they have Luca. Mate, is Luca a lure? Is Luca going to be the first European to actually attract other players because of the way he plays? Well, you know, who not, I don't have all I don't have all the numbers in front of me. Maybe they can do your mythical Hardaway deal and not mess up their cap space too much. But they're they're not going to take on long term money unless they really like the guy. Because I think they do want to take the space and see what they can do. I don't care about the space as much for this year because I don't think they're going to get anybody. Hardaway's contract I think expires after uh, next season. The guy I would be thinking about if I'm them is Davis. Everyone has Davis either headed to the Lakers or the Celtics. Nobody, by the way, knows anything. It's just, and I want to talk about this with you in a little bit about this new era we're in where information is being leaked directly from the teams to reporters to get it out there that this is happening. And meanwhile, nobody knows what to believe. We have no idea where Davis is going. I thought if I, at gunpoint, I would say he's going to the Lakers because he signed with Rich Paul, but I don't know that. My point is, if Doncic, from what we've seen in year one, and then in year two, it goes up a level, 
I think they become a legitimate Davis suitor if he if he ends up going to free agency if the Pelicans don't trade him. Okay, so here's the thing: you, you're going to have to trade for Davis to get it, right? New, New Orleans, New Orleans is either going. New Orleans is going to offer him the two hundred plus million extension. If he doesn't take it, they're going to have to trade him. So don't you want to save your trade chips for the tra- for that trade? Yeah, but you know, I keep seeing that people think. New Orleans is going to trade Davis like in February. KOC believes that. No, no. Our unbeloved KOC. If I'm them, basically, if I give up on Davis, I might as well not have basketball in New Orleans. I watched them last night. So we're taping this on a Tuesday. They were on last night. And they were playing somebody good. They they lost. Who did they lose to last night? It was a close one. Or they beat somebody last night. No, they lost. They lost to... um, Crap, I'm blanking. It was uh, Clippers. Clippers. Clip. Yeah, yeah. I was watching that one last night. And uh it, it's a Monday night in New Orleans, and you can see the empty seats. And that's a really good game. The Clippers are <laughs> number one in the West. You know, New Orleans, they have Davis, and it looked like they had about nine thousand people there. I mean, who were actually in the building. And I just feel like if you trade him, you're 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 you basically just moved to Seattle at that point. I, If I were them, I would ride it out because he is an all-time guy. And it's just never worked out for anyone who's traded an all-time guy. It's never worked out. I can never remember one example. Uh, what, so well, you, you would trade me, them in a year? What would you do? The, to me, the only way you could even pretend to suppose that New Orleans moves him this season is if Davis tries to force it. And yes, he has a new agent, a very influential agent who can get things done. But still, that's got to come from Anthony Davis. He would have to want to go now. And he's not going to do that. You know, he's not, not he's not wired like that. Yeah, I don't see it. He loves he genuinely loves New Orleans yep. and has a great relationship with that city. Does he really want to be the bad guy who forces his way out in February? I just I'm not. I don't they, believe it. And there's other moves for them too. Like they could go, for example, they go to Boston right now and say, give us Rogier. What do you want? You know, right, right now they're starting Tim Frazier because they don't know how long Alfred Payton is going to be out. And by the way, when you're relying on Alfred Payton, that's a bad sign in itself. Although he has played well, you have to say when healthy, he's been, he's, yeah, been he's better healthy for thought. nine games. Um, but if they went to Boston and like, give us Rogier and we'll give you a pick swap, our pick with your pick, top 10 protected, whatever. I, I do feel like they could add two pieces with the team they have and still make some noise because it goes back to the little thing. I The West to me is not lights out this year. I think there's a lot of good teams, but there's no great teams. And they have the best player probably in the whole conference other than Durant uh, and and LeBron, playoff LeBron. Um, so I don't know. I just, I wouldn't trade him, but I think long-term we're on the same page because Luca is going to be an attraction. That guy's fucking fun to play with and he's going to make you better. And right. So I think, but I think that also makes you think save your chips because the Davis thing more, more likely than not doesn't play out until July. The Pelicans make him the offer. And look, if you know, he, we've seen guys not take that super max. So yeah. maybe he says, I'm not taking it. I'm ready to move on. It's the summertime. It's easier for him to do that. And then it becomes a sweepstakes. Lakers and Clippers, obviously, or Lakers and Celtics, obviously at the front of the line because they both have the most assets. I mean, that's the same reason why people say 
Lakers should trade for Beal right now. No, they shouldn't trade for Beal right now. The Lakers are not going to win at all this season. You don't start slicing into that cast of great young assets now. It just It's too soon if you're the Lakers. Mm. Boy, I love when we disagree. You, I mean, so you, okay, so you're, you're magic now, and I'm nuts for trying to ask you to be rational about the Lakers, but you, you can't trade two or two of those young guys now for Beal, and then now you, and then Davis becomes available in July, and you've lost, you've lost half your cachet. You can't do that. Yeah. I couldn't fit LeBron and Bradley Beal. What does that get you in the West? Could I turn Ingram and some expirings into Bradley Beal? I can't do that. I, I I personally would not want to do that and then come to find out in July that I was branded Ingram away from getting Anthony Davis. I like Brandon Ingram, but is Brandon Ingram that good? Are we sure it's not? There's some a little bit of Laker hype thrown into that. I watch him and... I'm you know, a fan. I look. I'm I a fan. He, I don't, is he going to make an All Star team? He's regressed this season because he's still figuring out how to figuring out how to play with LeBron, which, as we've seen, it's a problem. It's not the easiest thing to do. I, I think get Kevin it. Love does not get enough credit for how well he survived the LeBron coaster all those years in Cleveland because it ain't easy. I get it. I just I saw Ingram in person a few weeks ago, and I'm still not positive what he is. Because to me, it looks like he's a six foot ten shooting guard, and I'm not sure what that is. Like, like forget the Durant comparisons. It's they, stop. Um, but he's just he's got a really strange body for what his skill set is, which is he's a shooting guard. He's not he's not somebody who is ever going to be anything other than that. He's a perimeter player, and he's really tall. And I don't I don't really know where that goes. I still like him. I still think he's a top. 35 trade asset. But if I could turn him into Bradley Beal, who's only 25, who I think has been in a really effed up situation in Washington, playing with a point guard who just thinks he's better than he is, uh, a variety of bad coaches, a Hall of Fame bad GM, and just a, a bunch of really weird teams. And Beal, I don't know. I like the way he carries himself. And I thought in the playoffs two years ago against Boston... I thought he was awesome. I really loved him. I, I think I think he could be this if LeBron's the best guy, I think he can be the second best guy in a finals team. You'd have hey, to look, find a third guy. Everybody wants Bradley Beal. I'm not disputing that, you know, in any way, shape, or form. I just think it would probably cost the Lakers <laughs> two of their prize for young guys to get him. If I don't know that they could get him for I would do it. an expiring. Listen though, the the whole but point then you're of- taking yourself out of Davis. I don't know if you are though, because LeBron is making like what thirty five, Beal makes twenty five, so now I'm at sixty. Other than that, I got a whole bunch of young guys and expiring contracts. I still feel like I could finagle it so I could have all three potentially. Your your guy Danny has such a war chest of of tradable pieces. I know the Jalen part. If Davis is going to be traded, you're going to have to come up with an amazing offer to beat what Boston can put on the table. I know the problem is they're going to want Tatum. It's it's going to be a staring contest over Tatum. You can't have all the good players. I hate to, I hate to break it to you. I are our players that good? I don't know. It was a lot higher than the three weeks ago. We are what what is the what is the term that what is the term the league uses for 
not not revenue sharing, with star sharing or whatever. Yeah. Get Zach Lowe on the phone. Whatever that term is that they use for superstar sharing or whatever. The worst thing that happened to Boston this season from a Davis standpoint is the regression that Jalen Brown's had. Where you finished last season and I can we can talk about 10,000 different metrics, but Jalen Brown was ahead of where Paul George was after two years. But in every respect, offensively, defensively, they were about even. And then the playoff reps that he got in those first two seasons were almost unparalleled. And you would have to go like to Kawhi Leonard to for a similar comparison of like the amount of big games he was able to play in and succeed in just seemed like he was an incredible asset. And now he's regressed. And I, I think he would have been the linchpin of a Davis trade. But now I don't think he's... The way he's regressed, I don't. I don't think he can Nobody be the lead person. I mean, he has I'm not a saying they are different role. He's, it's a completely. I mean, they went from the main two to he's a role player now. I know, but my point is, he can't be the lead of a of a Anthony Davis package right now. At the way he's playing, you, I need a killer, incredible asset as the lead of that package. If I'm trading well, Davis, and I you, think Brown qualified if you have last to year. Sacrifice Tatum to get Anthony Davis. I think you do that. I mean. With apologies to Celtics Nation, I Tatum can't, is great, but I can't Anthony get there. Is, <laughs> I can't. I can't get there <laughs> mentally. Come on, man! I can't get there mentally. I think he's. I think he's a future MVP candidate. To me, he's like in that Doncic class of. I just can't. I can't get there. If like if they said Horford and Tatum for Davis right now, let's go. I don't know. I I I. I that would be a tough one. Have you seen Anthony Davis play? I have. I have seen him play. I think he is probably the most talented power forward I've ever seen other than Duncan. Wouldn't you say? We might have to really start saying nice things about the East if Anthony Davis, Embiid, and Giannis are all in the same conference and Kawhi. Oh, my God. I saw So I saw Giannis in person on Saturday. Actually, let's take a break because I'm going to talk about this. Hey, what a Carmelo Anthony, Matthew Delavadova, DraftKings, Tim Ferriss, The Ringer, and nearly half a million entrepreneurs and businesses have in common. They've used 99designs to get custom design created for their brands, websites, and books. That's right. Today's show is brought to you by 99designs, the global creative platform that makes it easy for designers and clients to work together. I can't speak. From logos and apps to product packaging and books, 99designs is your go-to design resource for any budget. We recently used them to design some custom merch for The Ringer. Quality was amazing. Check out the new merch designs at 99designs.com forward slash bill. Right now you can get a free $99 upgrade on your first design contest. Head to 99designs.com forward slash bill. Click on the link. Check out our awesome t-shirts. If you like this podcast, there's a couple good ones in there for you too. 99designs, it's where creativity meets possibility. Hey, since we're here, let's talk about Allbirds. They're dedicated to making stylish, comfortable footwear using premium natural materials designed for life's everyday activities and adventures. Allbirds tree runners are comfy shoes made from trees. It's their most sustainable shoe yet, done in a way that adds to the comfort without compromising quality, made from ethically sourced FSC certified eucalyptus tree fibers. They pass Allbirds' rigorous, sustainable forestry standard. Not just shoes you feel good about. They're also shoes that you look good in. Designed simply, no unnecessary logos. 
Come in a bunch of limited edition colors. Wear them to work on the trail or in the park. I have done all three. That's not true. I've never been on the trail. Haven't been on a trail in a couple of years. I have worn them to work though, and it was super comfortable. The tree runners. With the holidays right around the corner, it's time to consider Allbirds as a gift for someone on your list or for yourself. The all-new tree runners available in a variety of limited edition colors at allbirds.com. Back to Mark Stein. So I saw Giannis in person on Saturday. And this rarely happens with NBA stars. It's like a final level. I'm not even positive it happened with Dirk. It might have, but I'm not positive. Giannis has reached a point that when he's in your town, you have to go. You just have to. You have to go see the dude in person. And and it is like the final level of NBA stardom where... Not only that, you have to go to Milwaukee. You have to go to Milwaukee. Oh my God. When was the last time we said that? I've just never seen a player like him. I've never seen a player with his skill set. He is an absolute one of a kind. I mean, he, the, the weird thing about him is he's not even a finished product yet. I don't even think, I think he might be two years away from being as good as he's ever going to be. He doesn't, he can't really shoot. It's not, the ball almost looks like a golf ball in his hands. I feel like his fingers are just too big. Um, and he's just figured out how to get layups and dunks and runners and little followaways and offensive rebounds and putbacks and alley-oops. And he can get to 30 points without really having a, a kind of a go-to shot. I've never seen anything like it. He's the first non-center I've ever seen in my life who's a guaranteed 30, but isn't really a scorer. Um, 20 points a night in the paint. Yeah. And, 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 and he plays really, really hard. That's a, that's one of the things I love about him and I love about Zion. He's diving for balls. He's balls out the whole time. He never dogs it. He's in phenomenal shape. He's doing trying to do chase down blocks on every every fast break. And the stuff that he does with, with the steps, with his ability to go from the three-point line to the basket in two steps and the Euro steps and his footwork – He's just incredible. And I, I can't say enough about what it's like to, you can't put a price high enough to go see him in person. There's no, my, look, Doncic is the only reason in Dallas now that five years later, people could finally start to pretend to come to grips with the fact that Donnie Nelson was begging the Mavs to draft this guy. And they did. Uh, I mean, they could, they, they could have had Giannis five, six, you know, yeah, I did 12, that draft though. That, that wasn't a slam dunk by any means. Nobody, there were a lot of there were a lot of possible red flags with that one. You don't think the grainy film from the, the grainy film the, just the Athens? The, why? Just like how rough his background was in Greece, and just the thought of like just getting him into America and putting him here and putting him in the NBA. Like, what kind of a leap, leap that was? I hope he it was great. I actually Milwaukee is actually I love going there as a visitor. I wouldn't can't sit here and say that I would move there, but I don't mind dropping in even in the, the dead of winter to visit there. And I, I love how much he loves Milwaukee. I really hope he stays. I, I so, just think it's a great story that he's fallen in love with, with Milwaukee. I think he stays. And I, and you know, honestly, it's one of those things like, uh, I remember I had Duran on a podcast once talking about why he loved the university of Texas. And I was like, you're only there eight months. Like who cares? Like if it's like this small moment in your life. And he was like, you know, up until that point, he'd grown up in like DC and 
obviously came from no money whatsoever. And it was like the first time he had his, like a nice room with a bed and a place to eat every day and all these new people to hang out with. And it just meant so much to him. That was like the first time he'd ever had all that. And I do think there's part of that with Giannis going to Milwaukee, where from where he came from to he's thrown into the situation. And then from day one, it's like, you have this nice place, you have money, you have all these people who love you. That's a really hard thing to walk away from. So I, I am one of my with favorite, you. One of my favorite stories, one of my first stories I got to do for the Times was they sent me to Milwaukee to do a Giannis piece. And I, you know, I, I'm sure you probably heard it. He wanted, you know, he moved before last season. He moved from the first place he was living in into a bigger house. Yeah. And he wanted to have a garage sale because, you know, he always says, I'm a world-class seller. You know, when he was, as a kid, he had to always hawk goods to make money in Greece. And he <laughs> he still wanted to have a garage sale and sell all his stuff. And the Bucks were like, Giannis, <laughs> you, you, you can't, you're, you're Giannis on You can't have a garage yeah. sale. You can't, people so can't to come to your house. Oh my God. That's a great story. Who's in your top four, this guy's in town. I have to make sure I'm at this game right now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely one of them. Uh, you know, Embiid, I just love, like he doesn't play a beautiful game. Yeah. But I love the whole, I, I just think as an entertainer, he's, he's as good as we've got right now. Just yeah, I would say what he might say, what he might do. Yeah. The, the Embiid Simmons combo is, is kind of a must see at this point. And now you throw Butler into the mix. Cause I think yeah. Butler is another pot stir. So, I mean, they've got, they've got quite a, quite a crew of irritants there. If they get a bench, they're going to be a handful. And I think Davis in person, it's not like a drop everything yeah. and go see him, but it's like a tiny bit below to the next level. It is, it's fun to see him once just because of that. You're just not prepared for the screen and row alley oops in person. It doesn't seem like Two he's going to get to the ball. Say, I, I, I love Kemba and I love Jokic. Oh, Jokic is a good one. Jokic is like, he looks like he came out of a, you know, like a beer league. You see him, it's yeah, like, has, his uniform has, doesn't fit. He's just, he has my body and the guy is just <laughs> killing it. What, uh, what's, how in shape is Luka Doncic right now? On a he, scale of one to 10. A lot of, he takes a lot of grief for it here. And certainly I think his conditioning is going to have to improve. I don't totally understand how it can even be an issue when you're 19 and playing hoops every day. I mean, I don't know about you, but at 18, 19, I was still a stick. So I, I just, I, I don't know why he's always played a little bit on the heavy side, but to me, that's like, he's going to figure that out. Yeah. I he'll, agree. he'll learn the diet. He'll learn the NBA way. And that just, means he'll go to another, you know, he'll probably go up a couple notches because of that. I mean, he's, yeah, I, I don't see that as any kind of real concern. I know people love to fixate on it. You know, look, he, he's played, he's going to go through something. He's going to have some sort of slump or next season it'll be sophomore jinx or whatever it is. I mean, he's, he's not just going to have this straight line path to the Hall of Fame. All these guys hit that period where they, look like they've taken, I mean, like Donovan Mitchell's going through right now. Like they, it looks like they've taken a step back and they forget how to play and they got to work through it. So 
there's no question he's going to have challenges along the way, but just he's so far ahead of the game from from what we expected. Well, I think what sets him apart, I said this. Except you. (laughs) I said this last week. I think what sets him apart from a lot of these other great rookies and some somebody even somebody like Mitchell last year. Luca can go four for four for nine for thirteen points and be the best player in the game. And that is the difference. When you can control a game offensively without taking a lot of shots, that's not a long list, especially for non point guards. You, we've seen point guards do it, but not not uh not perimeter players. It just doesn't happen very often. Hey, let's talk about um let's talk about Dirk and the Pantheon. Cause you said this to me. And it's really interesting because obviously Dallas is Cowboys first, Cowboys second, Cowboys third, Cowboys fourth, and then probably Mavs fifth. And then I don't know who else after, maybe the Rangers. The whatever hockey team they can you win have. A World yeah. Um and yet Dirk is the most famous, I've heard you say this about that he's the biggest Dallas athlete. And I'm trying to think like, all right. Well, look, for our age, you know, we're, you and I are the same age. For our age, it's Tom Landry. It's Roger Staubach. But like kids now today, you know, my kids don't, don't know Roger Staubach. Like the Cowboys have obviously had, you know, multiple Super Bowls and great runs and, you know, the, you know, Aikman, Irvin Smith, but like, does, do, does any one cowboy pop like Nowitzki pops in Dallas? I would argue no. How the much? Guy's got 21 years with the same team, never been done before, past Kobe. He's going to finish as the sixth all time leading scorer, 30,000 points. Revel changed his position, pledged eternal loyalty to this city, never even thought about leaving, you know. What, what, do we, what do we start out talking about? The seven, eight years of misery since the championship has never looked at going elsewhere. You don't think that, you know, the Warriors wouldn't have wanted him as a hired gun off the bench at some point. I mean, he could have gone somewhere, but he doesn't even look anywhere else. I mean, he is, I call him the godfather of Dallas sports. When something happens in Dallas, when the Cowboys win or lose, when the Rangers have a heartbreaking ending to a season when any people are sitting around Dallas, wait, what's Dirk going to tweet? What message is he going to tweet to, you know, to try to cheer up Cowboys fans after a bad loss or something. I mean, that, that's kind of the role he has in Dallas. So you think once he won the title, that's all he cared about. I mean, yes, it just changed. It changed his place in history and it gave him peace. I mean, you know, I don't know if he'll ever admit it or put it like that, but, if he didn't have the championship and we, we would all look at him differently. And I don't think he would be able to put up with these last, is it, is this year eight since the championship? I mean, yeah, he would have, he would have had to go somewhere else if it didn't work out. So, I mean, the championship did change. It changed the time. I mean, would you, would you have him top 20 if he didn't have a championship? Yeah, it was a, probably because of the 30,000 points, but he would have been right in there with Malone and Barkley and those guys. And yeah. um, I think ironically, he would have won one anyway because just I think he ends up on the 2015 Warriors, right? That first Warriors team? At some point, that team was smart enough to have pursued it. You know, there's this whole sliding doors history where that's where he goes and he becomes basically like a, a way better Sam Perkins for 
three straight Warriors teams and make some threes and all that. I love that yeah, he look, stayed. It's, it's so it's so hard to imagine that now. Yeah. Because, but yeah, if if it's 2015 and he hasn't won one by then, I think you probably could have talked him in. Well, your dude Nash, he's been on this pod a couple of times, and we've talked a lot about whether, um, you know, if you don't win a title, is your is your career still fully complete if you're a superstar? And I think he's come to grips with it over the last few years because he was on some great teams. And you see him do this, and you've seen Barkley do this, and some other people who were, you know, just great players who easily could have won a title and a couple of breaks went against them and it didn't happen. And they've talked themselves into just kind of how much luck you need, you know? And I think you talked to Nash about like 05, 06, 07. They really could have won any of those years if an injury doesn't happen or if a bad break or whatever. And even the 2010 team, the our test making that crazy putback shot, they had a chance to make the finals that year. And it seems like they hit, they eventually hit a level where they just are at peace with everything. You know, and so now Dirk's at Nash, this- to me, Nash and Barkley are wired just so uniquely. Like Nash really is one of a kind in terms of how much he put into the game during his career. And now in his afterlife, he's not around basketball a ton. He's with the Warriors a couple times a month, two, three days. He He's in contact with Kerr and staff people there, but he, it's not... I mean, he, he's, he's broadcasting all the soccer now. Yeah. He's got his, you know, his movie pursuits. And, I mean, there are so many other things in his life that you just don't see guys wired like he is. And then Barkley is, you know, just loves life, lives his best life all the time. It's, I mean, for the, the, the mega star that he is, I can't, I mean, he and Shaq are both just remarkable how comfortable they are around crowds and people and everybody yeah. wanting to piece them. Like I, they're just like, I wait, do we really like John Stockton? Will we ever know how it fits with him that he didn't win at all? Can we ever get to that answer? Probably not. You know, Carl Malone, I would love to know how he really feels about it. I'm not sure we'll ever get that answer. Patrick Ewing. I don't know that it's as easy for those guys as it is. Nash and Barkley just live a different kind of life than most humans. Well, Carl Malone's probably on a tractor right now, so I think he's fine. He's probably, he's probably just like going through some cornfield since on some giant farm. Probably, probably not thinking about it. I mean, he did go to the Lakers and take one of the most sizable pay cuts in NBA history because yeah. he wanted a ring. Yeah. I think Dirk would have done it. it. Dirk would have done it. I, 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 I think he's too competitive. But it's funny how it just kind of goes away after what, uh, you know, the maps had all the, uh, the, the big sexual harassment, that whole scandal that dragged on and on for six, seven months and was really bad and really reflected badly on Cuban. How much of effect did that have on the franchise and how, how much has Luca helped kind of, uh, help them come out of the haze of that? Now that the season has started, you really don't hear much discussion about it. Um, the, you know, the, it hit, was it like February is when it came out last year and the investigation kind of consumed the whole summer when people aren't really paying attention. So yeah, because of Luca, because the team has started pretty well, it's 
faded to the background for now. But, you know, I, I even say myself that, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but in, in 1998, I was still at the Dallas Morning News and I wrote a story about the Mavs investigated Terdima Usri for sexual harassment. And at the time, it's still probably the hardest story I've ever had to cover. You know, that's, you know, that's real news, not, you know, Trevor Reza's getting traded. This is real world stuff. I was a young reporter, didn't really know what I was doing, did the best I could on it. But, you know, after that, you know, I dropped the ball too. I, I, you know, I was no longer the beat writer, so I didn't know everyone in the organization like I did back then. But, you know, I'm so focused on transactions and just championships and all the things that we get wrapped up in. And I never followed up on it either. You know, when, when, when all, when the depths of that came out, I mean, I was shocked. I was really disappointed in myself that like, I can't believe some of these stories and I've, I've never heard them. Like it, it was bad. It was, it was, it was really, really sorted. And I think the, the sad reality is a lot more of that is happening in the NBA than has come out. And, you know, we'll probably hear more stories like that. Unfortunately. What was the reaction in Dallas and how did it affect Cubans um, kind of legacy and standing there? I don't feel like because, you know, again, because it all played out in the summer and, you know, he made the big donation, but, you know, there was no longstanding penalty. I don't know that people are really even talking about it. I mean, anymore. I don't think. I haven't really asked. I haven't really taken a poll. So, I mean, maybe I'm just speculating here, but I haven't really heard it raised that, oh, this is going to damage his legacy. I mean, we, you know, we judge, we judge owners on championships and, you know, he's been so committed to the Mavs and is so synonymous with the Mavs. I mean, it's a great question. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it, you know, to what degree it quote sticks. Yeah, it did seem like it faded away. But I also agree with you that I think there's going to be more stories in the NBA. I, there's 30 teams. And, in all sports. I mean, yeah. let, 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 you know, we've, it's terrible. I mean, the, you know, what, what just happened at the Ballon d'Or ceremony in soccer. I right. Mean, where, I mean, it's just, are you kidding me? Like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's just the way women get treated in, in the sports realm, it's just, it, 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 it blows your mind. How uh, how has life been different since you ended up at the New York Times? It's really been cool. Like I'm still, I'm such a newspaper geek to this day that like I just every time I'm in the paper, you know, the, the New York Times is a, is is a news organization. The paper is only one part of it. I mean, it really prides itself on the whole digital experience that that the times has. And obviously the daily is this hugely successful news podcast, but you know, like I'm, I'm still an old school. Wow. I'm in the paper. Yeah. I love this. When I'm in, when I'm in, when I'm in the Sunday or Monday paper, I'm just, when I'm in the international version of the times, I'm, you can't even talk to me that day. I'm, I'm giddy. Yeah. You still like the, the actual crafting of the story and the reporting and all that stuff. The last, the last few years, especially when we worked together at ESPN, it was becoming something of an arms race on 
you know, who got who got the story first, who got the scoop, who was able to get on the the uh, ESPN bottom line ticker. I remember we would talk about it. Yeah, that's all they cared about is is news. I mean, you know, just the you know, even is Luka Doncic playing tonight? Give me eight paragraphs as fast as you can. I mean, that that's what they care about. I never. We would argue about it because I never understood like who who freaking cares who got the scoop. Like it's it's gonna come out anyway. Oh, oh, this guy reported this. Like everyone's making themselves so crazy trying to make sure they don't get beat on these different things. But actually, I was wrong. It became not only a cottage industry, but it really became this arms race that I just never. I think it's one of the biggest things that's changed about the NBA this decade. Is the well, because I think the audience has the tools to follow it minute by minute now better than they did True. 10 years ago. Good so point. that's like, I always, my, my theory on it is like the audience and I do it in the sports that I'm passionate about as a fan. We see all the games. So we think we can coach better than the coach. We think we can GM better than the GM why am I going to listen to the writer? They don't want your opinion, but what they, what the audience, what the public doesn't have is the rumors, the, what might happen, who might get traded, who might get fired. Like that's the piece that people want to be armed with. And it's, you know, so if, if you can deliver that, there's, there's value in that. Right. Do you like where this is going though? Because I feel like, I like it in some ways, but I also feel like there's more favor trading than ever. And we're now in a situation where, especially you make friends with somebody who's like a director of scouting or an assistant coach or like, you know, three levels below in the GM and that person will feed. I'm not saying you, by the way, I'm just saying in general, you will like in an organization, you make, you make friends with the lower rung people. And then as they ascend, there's some favor trading and then it leads to the whole, a job opens up. Oh, you know, who'd be great for this job. And you're recommending your friend basically. And then you have people that are in power as a GM or a coach and you, you know, generic reporter helps them get there a little bit. And now they get all the information from it. And I I just wonder if it's too cushy now. I don't, like I look at somebody yeah, look, like I tweeted yesterday about Kenny Atkinson, the Brooklyn guy. And when he got hired, everyone's like, great hire, Kenny Atkinson, great hire. I watched the Nets games. I think they're like eight and 17. They're a mess in the last three minutes of every game. They're, they're really bad. Like they've, they've blown more games, I think, than anybody I've watched on league pass this year. They run bad plays coming out of timeouts. They give up plays. Like I'm not sure he's a good coach, but if you just followed on Twitter, you'd think he's like, you know, the, the next red are back. And I, I just, my, my thing is I'm not, I, I am more reluctant to believe stuff than I think I've ever been before with basketball coverage. Is that weird? No, I, I know what you're saying. And is there some of what you described? No question. There's because look, everybody in this space, there's great pressure to try to get information. I mean, everybody there's, the thing to me about basketball journalism today is there are so many good people doing it. Take the news piece out of it. Just writing features, which is, you know, now become my emphasis at the times. Like 
to come up with a good idea in the NBA for a story that has never been written. That's as hard as breaking five stories. True. There are so many good writers right now who are, who are covering the league. Every single day, there are two or three features that you just go, must read. I got, I got to save this. I got to read this late. I mean, the league is just covered to such an insane degree that, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I can only speak for the way I try to do it. And no matter what I hear, no matter who tells me something, you know, I still try to get it from two or three other people to make sure it's right, to make sure I'm not being led astray. That's your responsibility to make sure we get lied to every single day in this league. That's, yeah. that's the way it is. Reporters get told stuff, but we also get lied to. And it's your job to try to figure out when you're being played. I mean, that's, that's, it's your responsibility to do that. I, I'm pro- I probably follow this too closely and know too much, but I've been annoyed by how much, uh, how much water is being carried for people these days, just in general. And you can kind of see who the three or four people everybody has that they're just going to write the most flattering thing about it. It's, it's almost turned into, it's the basketball version of like the celebrity journalism from, uh, from Vanity Fair or places like that where, but you know, I think the readers see it too. I, it's like, I hope so. That's the, 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 the public is so the basketball public is so much smarter than it was. I mean, there are so many readers who know the cap better than I, do, and it's my job to know it. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's just different from when we were in high school or college as, as huge fans of the league. I mean, the, the modern fan is so much more educated. So, I mean, if, when those tweets go out, you, you know, look in the comments, you see plenty of responses like, Oh, you're just, you're just, you know, talking up this guy. Cause he's your guy. I mean, they, people see it. They know. Well, you know, what's crazy is how the coverage of the coverage has become something where yeah. you have a situation, <laughs> especially with, uh, the internet message boards, things like that. But they, this is a crazy thing happened a couple of weeks ago. The Chris Haynes, who writes for Yahoo was seen in the stands at a Laker game with Brandon Williams, the Kings assistant GM for a while. And they were clearly talking. And then like seven days later, Chris Haynes wrote a piece about how the Kings management was really dissatisfied with Dave Yeager. He wasn't playing badly enough. And everybody kind of connected the dots and said he was the source of it. Then he disappeared for a week for some mysterious reason. They said it was like family illness or something happened. And then he came back and Jaeger kicked him out of practice. And it was like, this is all stuff that would never have happened 10 years ago where you're talking to a source at a game and people are actually watching. I noticed at Summer League, like if you're, if you're at Summer League. that's so out of bounds. Journalist to journalist. That is such a violation. I cannot believe that stuff was written. Like, so, okay, so I'm talking, you see me at a game talking to whoever. And yeah. you automatically know that that's the source of my story. You heard what we were talking about. Like, <laughs> right. that is, I, I can't believe that happened. Like, it's not, you know. So that, that's that, so far out of bounds for a journalist to do that to another journalist. I can't even put a number on. But now we have so many journalists at these games. And Brian Curtis wrote a thing. By the way, so explain the Brian Curtis. He wrote the thing about uh, the sidling up. Explain the origins of that story. Because we didn't know it when when we wrote the story. Well, look, he talked to Windhorse for it. I, you know, I don't know 
if Brian heard it from some other thing. I just know within ESPN walls, Ramona and I used to, like we would call it sidling. And I, I, I stole it from a Seinfeld episode. You know, I'm a huge yeah, Seinfeld yeah, yeah. fan and there's the whole sidler episode where there's the guy in Elaine's office who sidles up to her when she's not looking. And yeah. So I just, so Ramona and I just always called it sidling. We got to sidle. We got to find a way to, you know, sidle, you know, how, how do we sidle LeBron? How do we get him away from the pack? And, you know, the following guys, <laughs> you know, following guys to the bus has just become a, a and that's with the, the Warriors, especially like the Warriors. It is hilarious to watch after a game the race of reporters to try to follow KD out the door and right, to get the one on one door. Um, so yeah, so we would just, we, you know, we jokingly would call it. So it, so it got passed down to the Windhorse generation. You should be honored. You're the godfather. No, I think of it. Windhorse said he, Windhorse says that he heard it from some, I think Chris Thomason is the one that he, he, he uh-huh. heard it from. And I guess probably Chris Thomason is probably also. So that's a we big, all, whoever, whoever says it is a Seinfeld fan. It's, it's a Seinfeld reference. So whoever it's an arms race. Now you're in the locker room. There's more people than ever. And everybody's just trying to get somebody to one-on-one, but as they're doing it, three other people are watching them do it and wondering, I, it just must be so hard to get unnamed sources. The conventional way, the easy way now is the DM and texting, right? Cause we didn't have that 10 yeah, years ago. It, it's a two, it's a twofold thing on the negative side there's more people at games than ever. I mean, when, you know, when I was, when I was just a beat writer 20 years ago, even after the Mavs got Nash and Nowitzki, the Mavs have Nash, Nowitzki and Finley and Cubans, the owner and Nelly's the coach. Still a lot of practices was just the star telegram and me. Yeah. We were the only two writers, you know, maybe a couple of, maybe there's five writers, maybe there's seven, but you know, nothing compared to now. I mean, games, trying to have a conversation at a game, you got to have a prior relationship with the player to, to try to get them alone, or it's just, it's just not going to happen. Now, for the most part, reporters still respect if, you know, if I walk in the Laker locker room and I see Chris Haynes is talking to LeBron one-on-one, I'm not going to join that conversation. Right. It's, you respect the one-on-one and you don't intrude on that, but you've got to have the relationship to get the one-on-one. Then there's the flip side. Then there's Twitter where all these players follow writers and you can have Twitter relationships with the guys. Now that's something I know you always talk about Bob Ryan and he always talks about the glory days and how it'll never be as good as that. And to a degree, I'll agree with him. I don't want to, I don't want to disagree too loudly with the legend that is Bob Ryan, but Twitter has given us the ability to connect with players away from the court that obviously his generation didn't have. Yeah, it's funny. His generation, I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite basketball books is called The Short Season by John Powers. He spent spent a year with the 78 Boston Celtics. And a big part of it, you're reading it, and he's just after the games going to the Scotch and Sirloin and having steak dinners with Dave Cowens and, you know, John Havlicek. And it's like, wow, this had never happened before. But you know what wouldn't I'm happen? I'm so jealous in, of that era. I know, but I you mean, know that would have been awesome. Getting cocktails with Tommy Heinsohn in the hotel bar at three in the morning as he's telling you how much he and hates Sidney Wicks. Flying, you know, flying with these guys the next morning. They're all on the same commercial flight. For oh yeah, flight out, you know, and they're connecting. I when so I started, I I started in the ninety three ninety four season. Charters had just become the norm. Pretty much everybody was chartering by the time I started. So I never got 
like when I started, I, I did at least get to stay at the team hotel on occasion, but I yeah. never had that experience of actually flying with, you know, Hey, Larry Bird's on my flight. You know, I mean, that would have been, that would just would have been incredible. Yeah. I mean, you have 40 years ago, you're on a flight with the Celtics going to Detroit, but you're connecting through Washington and it's a two hour delay and you're just in the airport with six Celtics getting, getting tidbits from them. But I think the difference now, 40 years later is, oh, um, Joel Embiid follows me on Twitter. I think I'll DM him. Oh, now I have this relationship with him. Hey, blah, blah, blah. Now all of a sudden you have immediate access to these guys. And as you know, they spend a lot of time looking at their phones and they, they have their headphones on. The human interaction is not going to be the same. I was just, I was just in California and my best friend from high school named Dave out of the business. He's not a journalist at all. He just asked me, do these guys really look at their phones? And I'm like, you should see, you should see the warriors after you walk in the warriors locker room after a game, they're all on their phone. They're scroll, whether it's, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is, but you see them scrolling all of them. It's like nephew Kyle right now. Oh no, he's actually listening. He's paying attention. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny that era from 40 years ago kind of defined what that era was like, right? Everything's human interaction. We didn't have any sort of internet, anything. We didn't have cable really. And everything was done face to face and how you handled your business and all that stuff. And now this current era basketball reporting kind of reflects what life is like, you know, people, it's much harder to get one-on-ones with people. It's much harder to have those interactions like that. But you also have 24 seven access to basically anyone you want. If you're Mark Stein or Chris Haynes or Zach Lowe or name anybody, it's, it's a never ending well of people you can reach out to with little quick texts. Hey man, nice game tonight. Whoa. What'd you think of the Butler trade? Like you're, you're, you're in somebody's life constantly, but you don't even have to interact with them. They ask you without you even asking them. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's good. That's when you know you're in. Let me say this because I don't want to take this for granted. The other thing, if, if, if the basketball public didn't have the appetite for this stuff that it has, I don't know that it would be this way. I mean, that's, this is my 26th season yeah. and the league has never been hotter and people can't get enough. And, you know, it just, you, it seems like every day there's something else crazy. And, you know, you see it when, when Rachel Nichols does her show and they're just every day, they're diving into some drama and you got worldwide wob and it's all his, you know, video captures. And it's just like, it's just every day, and and you can't you cannot feed the beast enough right now. The only thing that hasn't changed is that the Knicks still suck. <laughs> yeah, but you're willing them Zion. They're going to be fixed. They're going to they're going to sign KD. They're going to have Zion. Those KP. Those fans deserve it, man. I went so I went to uh, I went back to New York for William Goldman's memorial on Saturday, and I left with one speaker to go because I wanted to go to the Knicks Bucks game, and I thought. If anyone would have appreciated this, it would have been Goldman, who loved the Knicks more than anyone and went to 50 straight years of games. And I was thinking, like, the last 20 years of this guy's life, the Knicks were terrible, basically. It's so long. 
My daughter's 13 now. It feels like she's been in my life for a hundred years. Like the Knicks have been terrible for 18 years. She's, they've been terrible for five more years than she's been born other than these little tiny blips. And, uh, I don't know. It's it's the one fan base. Now that the Warriors have been taken care of, because they had a great fan base, I think the Suns. The Suns have had at least fun teams over the years and good stars and great moments, you know. And like, I the Kings would be, I guess, the other one. But the Kings don't have the generations of fans that I think the Knicks have. But you start going through the fan bases, the Knicks are clearly the number one choice. The Buffalo Braves, I know those fans are pretty Don't tortured. Don't get me started on the Braves. Don't get me started on the Braves. <laughs> Do people even know but that? No, I mean, look, the oh, MSG is, my, is still my favorite place to go for a game. Still, not, not our media seats have gotten considerably worse over the years, so that kills it some because, man, in, for most of my time covering the league, that we would get those baseline seats at MSG and just, what I mean, just unbelievable atmosphere. You really just felt like you were at the heart it's unbelievable. It's, it's great. Every time you went to that building. So well, I would say Boston, Oakland, and the Knicks are the three best experiences. But I got to say, 2011 finals in Dallas was pretty great. I don't know if that crowd brings it to the table week after week, but just for that finals, it's pretty great. The arena has been pretty full for your guy, Don. It's, uh, it's been lined. Mm, my dude. You know, you know uh, I, I will say Boston has shot up my rankings because I discovered Sal's Pizza, the best arena pizza. I normally oh, never wow. yeah. eat at the arena, never. Yeah. But you know they have those giant Sal's Pizza slices. Those are just epic. I think food at arenas is going to be one of the big trends over the next ten years. These celebrity chefs, because they could actually make money. Chang, Chang, my friend Chang, who has a podcast with us, like he has a thing at the U.S. Open, and I think at the Mets games. And my guess is that more and more that's going to be happening. But we'll, we'll have to, maybe that'll be a, a topic for House of Carbs. Um, Steiny Mo, this is a pleasure. 12, 12 years since our first podcast almost. Uh, I'm glad we were able to do this again. You're going to come back, right? Anytime you need, my man. Anytime. All right. It's great talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. So we're going to bring in Chris Ryan to talk about this Markel Fultz thing, which broke a little bit late for us, uh, but we wanted to get it in there because it's such a strange story. First, the fantasy playoffs are fast approaching. And if your team is not in the championship mix for your real fantasy, there's always daily fantasy. You know, I've been playing every week. I won two weeks ago on FanDuel. Last week, I got annihilated. I blame Jared Goff. What the hell were you doing last week, Jared Goff? Hurt my feelings. Over at FanDuel, you get the excitement of researching and building your team each week. Regardless of the outcome, it's never been more fun to play. You can play even if you're not a fantasy expert. And when you're ready for a fresh start away from your fantasy team that let you down in the playoffs, come over to FanDuel. Get a $5 bonus when you make your first deposit. Pick a new fantasy team every week. Get all the fresh starts you need. Get back to winning. Go to FanDuel.com slash BS. Come play with me. FanDuel.com slash BS. New users only. Bonus not available for withdrawal. State and age restrictions apply for full eligibility rules and terms and conditions. Go to FanDuel. Com. All right. It is late Tuesday afternoon, West Coast time. The Markel Fultz, the latest in the saga, broke today. Chris Ryan, what's your title? Editorial director of The mm-hmm. Ringer? Yeah. It's a great title. Thanks, man. Nice. I Can like I just it. say what an honor it is to be like the opening act for Steiny Mo? It's great. Like for 15 years, just been listening to you and Mark and the, the old three-man uh, weave nice. pods with Buke. 
It's like one of my favorite podcast combos. This is great. I'm glad you're here as well. <laughs> Didn't expect you to be here. No, I mean, I guess it's like I'm always on Sixers duty, right? Like they're just, they're never boring. I don't feel like we've had the full faults conversation. It's been awkward for us. So whole year has been awkward for us. You and I? Yeah, because yeah, we, we had the Eagles the Pats Eagles Super Pats. Bowl. Yeah, that's right. The Bauman got a Philly special tattoo. Gonzalez is... All his all his stuff in our slacks are coated little anti-Boston things. <laughs> um, and then the false Tatum thing got super awkward. Uh-huh. And now it's not even awkward anymore. It's kind of sad. It's just sad. Yeah, now it's just sad. I think and, that's the reason why you're not seeing like some of the same like gawking that happens. I mean, obviously there's a lot of speculation and everybody's wondering what's going on, but there's NBA stories where people are like, Oh my God, we gotta just get into the bottom of this. And this one, it's a little bit more like everybody's like, there's there's a there's a kid at the at the center of this. That's just kind of sad. Well, so, so for people who didn't hear this story, his agent, Raymond Brothers, mm-hmm. announced that he has TOS. He has this nerve damage in his shoulder that was diagnosed after they met with 10 different specialists. Yeah. Not one of whom, in the article that Adrian Wojnarowski wrote, not one of the specialists was attached by name to the story. Mm-hmm. So we've no idea. We've no idea. Was it six of them said it? Was it three? Did they find just one? Were they shopping for the opinion that they wanted? Now they have a they have a reason to back up why he wasn't playing well, why he had the hitch, all that stuff. And I got to be honest, like I don't know how true it is, and I don't know if any of us know. And it does, I don't know if it's a cover up because they feel like he's gone off the rails a little bit. Um, I, I don't trying even to salvage him mentally. Think, I just don't know. I don't. I don't know either. You know, and I, I follow this team as closely as I possibly can from here. And I feel like this has been one of those really interesting mysteries because it feels like there's something at the center of it that is almost like nobody wants to talk about. You know what I mean? Like there's every all the uh, there's so many stories out there in the NBA where you're like, oh, I'm going to get you the real dirt on this, or we're going to get to the bottom of this, and this just seems to be somewhere in this weird gray area between the head and the body, and that nobody can really properly figure it out. Um, and then and people br- tiptoeing because they don't want to either impugn the kid or make it seem like there's something really wrong with them, or and whatever. maybe to our collective credit, we've all become yeah, a little bit more sensitive. We've all become a little bit more sensitive talking about emotional or mental health problems. You know what I mean? And if that is something that he's battling, which I think has been speculated about a lot, but brothers addressed that today, but brothers addressed that. Uh, Woj tweeted that out that brothers said that this was like, I've heard that people have suggesting this is a mental problem. It's not, it's no way a number one pick suddenly can't raise his arms above his, you know, above his head. And we've we've finally figured out what the physical problem is here. So here here's why I'm suspicious. Because in September and October, the talk was about how great he was doing. Mm-hmm. That and was when he was working. He was going to start. Yeah, he's doing awesome. Things are looking up. Might make the all defense. It's looking that good. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, this whole time something's been wrong. We've heard so many different versions of what's going on that. My head's officially. We've spinning. had scapular imbalance. We've had removal of fluid, the replacement of fluid. But then saying that that never happened and that the fluid actually was never a problem. Yeah. And so Raymond Brothers, here are his clients. I'm just going to read the list Zach Randolph, mm-hmm. Markel Fultz, DJ Augustine, El Farouk Aminu, Jerrion Grant, Mitchell Robinson, Danielle House. Trevin Duval. Mm-hmm. 
He works for IAM Sports. I wouldn't call him a super agent. Yeah, there's, but to be fair, there's a bunch of guys out there who have an agent who they, you know, they are their agent's main concern, you know, right? Yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying, like, he's, so he's got this guy in his life, not a super agent. Mm-hmm. He has Drew Hanlon, who we don't know what the F is going on with that guy. Mm-hmm. He is this whole new era now of these shooting coaches who are also like little mini celebrities and have this weird power over these dudes and don't want any money from them, but um, just... There was also the whole story last year of this guy, Keith Williams, who was his shooting coach or his trainer in some way, but also had a relationship to the family. And that was a lot of where... I mean, there's just been... Honestly, when I talk about Markel Fultz, I just can't even remember what's myth and what's real. You know what I mean? Like I was just about to say something and I'm like, did we ever actually like figure that out? <laughs> was this was like, cause like there was right. stuff in Dietrich's Colangelo piece earlier this For year us, yeah. that referenced pieces of information about faults that were like unconfirmable. You know what I mean? Unless you were one of three people within the Sixers organization, but there are rumors out there. There are these videos of faults shooting while he's lying down. You know what I mean? Like these things that are like, it's become almost like a like a an, an urban legend or something like that. And then you have his coach in at Washington, right? Got fired after he left. Wasn't that what happened? The night they went, he went nine. Yeah, and but 20. they were like terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. I'm just going through all the people yeah, yeah, in his yeah, life. Yeah. yeah. So he's got that guy. That not a lot of help there. Then he has the Sixers organization, which has been a fucking shit show. And you know we I'm, we played a small part in it with the Colangelo story, but. Um, they didn't really replace them all summer. They had Brett Brown doing double duty as basically GM and coach. I'm not even sure Brett Brown is a good coach. Mm-hmm. Are you sure he's a good coach? I'm sure he's the kind of coach who would give Markel every shot at being successful. Do you think he's a good coach though? We don't know yet. I'll tell you after this playoffs. Okay. But yeah, I like Brett um, Brown. Have that. They hire a new GM. There's weird. It's just, I, I can't think of a worse position for a young guy to be put in on top of the whole Tatum trade. He goes to Philly. He's the final piece of the process. Let's take the Embiid Simmons things. And if this did turn out to be more mental than physical, I feel really bad for him because I it it does make sense. That I think he it is could in, be both. You know what I mean? I think both maybe. things can be true. I think that the the physical stuff, if it was not diagnosed, or if they were having a tr- a hard time diagnosing it, or if I mean, look, you if you look out there. How many stories do you come across where it was like, there was something wrong with me and I couldn't figure it out and I thought I was going crazy until I finally met this doctor or that doctor where I figured it out. It was this, it was that, it was the other thing. So it's not like completely unheard of that people can sometimes look for the diagnosis that explains what's going on with their body. But I do think for somebody like this, who's probably like at a pretty sensitive, vulnerable age, if he's got some things that are screwed up with his body that they did impact his mind and make him uncomfortable on the basketball court. If he had always been used to being completely healthy. Right. And this is the first time he'd ever struggled really with anything. Right. And I think that especially in today's NBA, the lack of outside shooting stuff, it's just like you're watching him and you're watching how he just is never going to take a shot beyond 22 feet. You know what I mean? So he's just, if he's not a threat beyond the foul line at all, you're just kind of like focusing in on that. And you're fascinated by like, oh, he's obviously making up. With Ben Simmons, we don't even talk about it because it's just, Ben's just not going to do it. But with Markel, there's like the promise of it. And you're just like, well, there's just got to be something wrong with his head if he can do all this other stuff, but he just won't pull up. I saw him either preseason or start of the season, can't remember. And there were moments when he really looked good. Yes, that's where I think the mental stuff comes into it. Right, so that's another reason why I'm a little dubious of this because 
he would have these quarters where the athleticism was kind of jaw dropping. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, somebody this quick cannot fail. Mm -hmm. This is not like watching Hashim Thabit try to run looking like he had concrete sneakers on. Or Bennett being like or Bennett going through what like, he was going oh, through. This yeah. is like a six foot six fat guy, basically. Mm -hmm. That's, this isn't working. Darko just always looked like, uh, you know, somebody who had been in the Lost Boys. And was it the whole thing with Darko issues? too that he had a bad attitude? Yeah, you watch him on the sideline and it was just like, that guy doesn't look like he's ever going to be an NBA star. He looks like he was an extra in the Lost Boys yeah. or something. Um <laughs> But uh, this Fultz thing, he clearly does have talent. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a bust. No, this, this is, wasn't this like, this unlike wasn't anything Bennett I've ever seen. Because everybody, like we did the, con like he was the consensus number one. He was the guy with a much higher ceiling than Tatum at the time. One of my hottest takes is that Anthony Bennett was 10 years too late. 10 years too late? Yeah. Oh, because like if he had played in, in the 90s, he, he would makes, have been Larry Johnson or something? He makes more sense in 2003 or 1998. He's super physical, power forward. But now it's like once the league started changing right as he showed up, where where's he going to play? Where just, do you, it's just so, I mean, going number one just. It, and that on top of it. It's just and, so tough. I mean, yeah. think about like the guys like Bennett. I mean, we even do this to Wiggins now. You know what I mean? I mean, well, especially now because he signed his new deal. But it's just like. If, you know, if Bennett wound up having Michael Kidd Gilchrist's career, I don't know if we would have necessarily talked about him that much. You know what I mean? Isn't it crazy? We, you think we would know more about basketball than ever and how to evaluate with top three guys, right? Yeah. The stats are the best they've ever been. The video, the ability to, I, you make a video of every single offensive move Markel Fultz made when he was in college and just splice that and watch it one after the other for five hours. And yet, teams are still missing on top five picks more than ever. Like, look at the Markel Fultz draft. There might be, you might have Fultz, Josh Jackson, and Lonzo, mm -hmm. who I'm still, I'll buy all your Lonzo stock. I'm wavering it just a wee bit. But you might have three of the five might never make an all-star team. And two of the five might be out of the league by the time they're 28, for yeah. all we know. Yeah. If you told me Josh Jackson's going to be out of the league when he's 28, I wouldn't bet my life against it. Like, he, his minutes have gone down. Josh Jackson and Markel Fultz probably will get another shot with another team somewhere. Well, and that's and then you end up like the Knicks-Bucks game I went to this weekend where you're watching Emmanuel Moutier and Noah Vonley. Mm -hmm. Moutier was picked seventh and Vonley was picked ninth, ninth. And both of them are highly regarded and wrong spots. It happens. My point is, I'm just amazed that people can still whiff on these high picks. Jaleel I, Okafor. There's whiffing. Bennett. Yeah. Fultz. There's whiffing, but King then there's, I think hurt. Fultz is different because I, do, and I know that this is an incredibly small sample size, but whatever people saw, like I didn't watch a lot of Washington, but I loved what I saw of him. True. And then I saw him in the, in the one game that he was playing in Vegas Summer League where just that first quarter before, or first half before he rolled his ankle. Yeah. But he looked fine. He looked yeah. dynamic. He looked like he was capable of making plays and shooting and all that stuff. He rolls his ankle. They shut him down for summer league. And then somewhere in there is the speculative mystery injury or whenever he's aggravated this thing. And, you know, now, but we, but there's just no definitive timeline. And because you can tell that there is some tension between brothers and the franchise, you're never going to get the true story. Yeah, I wonder... When I said whiff, by the way, I meant more like just the pick didn't work out yeah, yeah. for whatever reason. 
you would think like if you're in the top three, especially with all the tubes that tank now, you'd think like top three, well, at least we're guaranteed to get somebody good now. And it's like, you're not. Yeah. You don't know what the F's going to happen. I think Zion is the all-time can't miss in a while. Um, Maybe since Davis. It's not, I mean, like, I, I think we'll I, look back now and we'll be like, I just can't believe anybody overthought this Luca thing. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't believe anybody was like, maybe Aiden, maybe Trey instead of Luca. It was a great day for the Ringer staff. I will mention that pretty much everyone on the Ringer staff also loved Fultz, which goes to mm-hmm. show you, like, you, you yeah. never, you never really know. I have a couple of quick questions. Yeah, sure. We always talk about when Fultz spent two days with Boston. <laughs> and then whatever they saw, whatever whatever happened, they immediately traded the pick or tried to whatever happened. And within there a week- was a famous, infamous, at least in the ringer, picture of Fultz. It's like a black and white photo of Fultz in like a concourse at TD Garden. And he's like looking at a picture of Bob Cousy and the Celtics tweeted it out and were essentially like the next generation. And I was like, okay, they're going to take Fultz and we'll have our choice of Ball Tatum or whoever. And then two days later, they they did the trade. Yeah. And I was there in Boston a couple of times for playoff games, talking to the people I know and never got the indication from anyone that it was anyone other than Fultz. And not even like smokescreen. Mm-hmm. I think everybody was like, oh yeah, of course they're taking Fultz. Like if you go back and read the thing Danny wrote for us the night of the lottery or the stuff KOC wrote, yes. it was like Fultz is the top. Yes. And then after that, it's a debate. Lonzo, Tatum, Josh Jackson, whoever. One of my goals in life is to find out what happened during those 48 hours with Fultz in it's Boston. It's an incredible mystery. Where they did a 180 on the guy. But you would think that all of their research would have been done prior to that, right? They spent time with them. They have like secret. They're in the brain doctor. They have that stuff. That Who the brain doctor almost led them to Robert Swift that year. But they've always kind of dabbled in that psychoanalysis stuff with the draft picks and heavy medical stuff. They have like a great injury staff. So my question is, they saw a red flag. Let's say it was the nerve damage thing, or let's say it was something mental or, or something that held them off. But let's say it was the nerve damage thing. And then they do the trade with Philly. That's technically legal well, because it's just Fultz isn't on their team. It's just a pick. It still feels like slightly unethical, though. I don't think that he had nerve damage before the draft. That's my take, personally. I don't think that Do you whatever think he has nerve damage now. I don't think either of us know. Uh, I I would hope so because that's I think would that be this is a pretty specific. From. I mean, like they're saying that there's so many conflicting tweets and like reports out right now, but they're saying that he could be back with the team in a matter of weeks. And that's not really that what we like know about dressing. TOS based on, I mean, Bauman just wrote a piece for the site about Matt Harvey having a similar injury. Now, obviously Matt Harvey's using his arm in a completely different way than Markel Fultz is using his arms. But this is not like a, to, to fix this with surgery at least would be a pretty invasive, pretty difficult surgery. Yeah. Um, if they're just saying, and they, they've got some doctor coming who worked in with the Lakers and worked with Kobe and has worked with Elton Brain in the past. Uh, who's apparently going to start working with Markel. This is like another doctor. I I just don't know who's running Markel Fultz's career. You know what I mean? Is it is it the Sixers or is it his agent? Is he on the team in a year? No. No. I don't, I don't, I think I'm 75-25 that he never plays for the Sixers again. 75% chance that he doesn't? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
because they can just kick this can down the road. More more physical therapy. We've decided it's Markel's best interest to just work on his health for the rest of the season. When you torture yourself with the what ifs of the Fultz draft, because that's what I would do because I love torturing, going backwards and torturing myself with sports things. Mm-hmm. Is it just taking Tatum third? Or is there a world where you you even go back further to five and you take De'Aaron Fox and you get something else from the Kings? Yeah, I'm not a good draft guy because my draft tastes are usually just like draft a guy from they're Kentucky. They're exotic. Yeah. yeah. No, they're just draft a Kentucky guy. You yeah. Know? Uh, De'Aaron Fox certainly seemed like I loved De'Aaron Fox. Who would have been the most fun person to put on that team from that draft? I would say Tatum. With because, the team that they have now with Butler? Just like, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. Fox. We could add Fox. Fox would have been. And also everything everybody says about the way Fox plays and the way Fox is around the team and how he is like a culture changer and how he is like born leader and like wants to win and is like an absolute bulldog. Like, I just would love to have Fox. It's funny because the false thing is so devastating and such like a bad story. But yet with Philly, the fact that Embiid is basically Orlando Shaq. Mm-hmm. And is playing every game. And I remember like a year ago, remember I did that podcast with Danny and I'm like, would you bet your life he'll play 65 yeah. games? And Danny's like, yes, I would. I yeah. would bet my life he'll never do it. Well, so maybe that's- and now he plays every maybe game. Maybe that makes this podcast sound ridiculous because maybe we should just be patient. Because there are people who are just like, MB's never going to play more than like 35 games a season. That is always going to be an it ankle or impossible. A, a foot or a back or whatever it's going to be. So maybe, maybe like, you know- Embiid is now playing like 38 minutes a game He's playing every game. He plays. He's playing too much. He's yeah, playing he, too much. he is. He probably is playing too much, but he's playing with a, like a particular ferocity. Yes. And it's amazing. I, I certainly had given up this version of him. I remember seeing him in the gym that time and writing about it after for Grantland. Just being like, that guy has to be the first pick. Yeah. But never thinking he would even get back to that athletically game after game. And, uh, and he's awesome. So the reality is he threw away four seasons. You ended up with two guys for sure. And those two guys, one is probably one of the best six assets in the league. And the other one's probably one of the best 12 assets of the league. Yeah. And Jimmy it's Butler. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler. I don't know how long he's going to. It's it's weird. People keep talking about, oh, that contract. That next contract's going to be a nightmare. It's like he's 30. It's Who cares? Well. You got to pay him. You got to pay him. But I think that, I think everybody is looking around at like what happens, what's happening with the Wizards and how they can't get out from wall. They're looking at Chris Paul and how like he seems to be on the backside of his career now, the downside of his well, career. Well, Chris Paul, I mean, he was 14 seasons in at that point. Sure. 13 seasons. But uh, do you think that Jimmy Butler's eight seasons with Tibbs are essentially 14 real seasons? <laughs> I don't know. He didn't play that many. He was only like three years where he played like a crazy amount of minutes. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I, look, right. I looked I up his total I, minutes. I, I, I was I shocked looked, by how Jimmy small Butler was. has done quite a bit in the last few weeks to just make himself a Philly fucking legend. So it's you're not going to hear me crying about us signing. He's really Butler. everything you wanted from your third guy with Philly, right? Huge balls. He'll take big shots at the end of games. Yeah, he can guard anybody. Um, he's got real swagger, and he's the kind of guy Philly fans would just like. Yes, and he and I think that he brings an edge to that team that and it and you know you're seeing. Joel be like an assassin over the course of the last, you know, like three, three, four weeks. And he's got that in him. But I think Jimmy brings that out of those guys. What's weird is the four that you have. Cause I think even though statistically Reddick hasn't had his best year, I actually think he has had his best year because. Well, also mentality rise. JJ's right there with those guys. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's other years where he's shot better. 
Mm-hmm. But I think he's being used and relied on in a much more significant way than I can ever remember at any point in his career. And I don't know whether the usage rate stat backed that up, but you know, it, it was easier on the Clippers. He's taking either coming around screens and taking threes or wide open threes or cuts to the basket. They actually need him for possessions this year. Um, but you look at those four, even if the, the best possible version of faults, I'm not sure that fits in with those four. You know, well, that's where you really start getting into shooter. like, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, we were having this conversation on group chat the other day about like whether or not we're starting to see a little bit of an unraveling of this big three mentality or having like a really top heavy team. It's because the Warriors kind of screwed that up for people. I think they were like, well, you just get this model of team together and yeah. it doesn't matter who you surround them with, but they're like pretty much a once in a generation collection of talent, if not more than that. Whereas like I'm watching Toronto this year and I'm just like, you just, Kawhi can sit out the second night of back-to-backs every, for the whole season. And they've just got like such a, like contributors from all over the, the court, from all over the draft, from all over ways of getting guys from Siakam and Van Vliet. And it just seems like that's the, that's the model is to well, be able that, to go 10 deep during the regular season and really like p- try a bunch of different things. And sit dudes out. I think that was Stevens's mistake. The Celtics didn't really fall into place until he started smart and Jalen Brown got hurt. Yeah. And when Jalen got hurt, the minutes kind of fell in the way it was. And I think what Toronto, when they, Pop was the guy who invented this, but you pull a guy out of the lineup and then these other guys have to play more minutes and then everybody's kind of weirdly happy. Yeah. You know, it's like- Well, everybody's my, happy when you win. You know like, what I mean? Like, well, I true. Do, I think that, I think that the Jimmy Butler, like they, they're winning games. Like Jimmy's happy. Jimmy's making all the right, saying all the right things. It's like if, if you have a kid who plays soccer and that there's a lot of bench players- and then like three kids don't show up and everybody just has to play the whole game. Sure. And the kids are super happy after like, yeah. hey, I played the whole game. Um, and I wonder if that's, maybe that's this new way to manage the regular season. Do you think that they try to trade Fultz this season or does he have like next, like they would have to attach something to Fultz to get anything at this point. I, I still feel like if I'm the Bulls or the Suns, a team that's not going anywhere, I would try to grab them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's mixed results with the pedigree of this stuff. But then you look at Moody and Vonley, it's like, you got to bet on the pedigree. Mm-hmm. This guy was considered the number one tra- draft prospect 18 months ago. I would trade for him. And I think at some point he's going to realize maybe he needs some savvier people around him. Yeah. Cause that this, everything, the way his life's been handled the last six months has been really awful. Look, and beats an MVP candidate. Ben Simmons is awesome. Butler trade's been Fantastic for both sides. For both teams. I, did you watch the Rockets game? The, I did. <sighs> Rocco has finally found his calling. When it's Rocco just like ripped the ball out of robot. Capella's hands, that yeah. was I was like, man, they really got one here. He's like they between him and Taj Gibson and the Rose comeback, it's like the perfect tips. Also, team. I haven't like watched every minute of Minnesota basketball, but you can tell he makes like Wiggins and Towns' defensive liabilities like a little bit less right. glaring. The Wiggins things Danny Chow wrote about Wiggins today for us. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, two years ago, he played 3,000 minutes and he averaged like 23 a game. And whether you loved his game or not, like at least seemed like it was headed somewhere. Now he seems like a guy who's on his way out of the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's he's 23. It's astonishing. He was uh, like one of the best players on the court last night with a, on a, uh, in a game against James Harden, though. I know. Yeah. It's, just, it's so up and down. I think that was the only time it's been up. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
<laughs> but like the kind of decline he's had from age 21 to age 23, from, if you're just going from a basketball reference standpoint, it's like, that's the arc of somebody who's going to be in China in three years. <laughs> so, but obviously not because he's Knicks. making $40 million yeah. a year. Yeah. Uh, all right, Chris Ryan. Always a pleasure. All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Please go there. It's a great place. It's a happy place. Thanks to HBO's Momentum Generation, new documentary coming December 11th. If you don't like it, I will give you your money back for this podcast, which was free. I don't care. It's an awesome documentary. You will like it. Also, watch it with like your wife and your kids or your girlfriend or whoever. Kyle, did you see it? No, I'm waiting. You'll like it. Thanks to FanDuel. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel is the place to play at FanDuel. You get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. Come play with me at FanDuel.com. Get a $5 bonus when you make your first deposit. New users only. Bonus not available for withdrawal. State and age restrictions apply for full eligibility rules and terms and conditions. Go to FanDuel.com. Thanks to Allbirds. Their tree runners are comfy shoes made from trees. So light, so comfortable. You'll forget you're even wearing them. They are Allbirds' most sustainable shoe yet. Comfort without compromising. Quality with holidays around the corner. Time to consider Allbirds as a gift for someone on your list or for yourself. The all-new tree runners are available in a variety of limited edition colors at allbirds.com. If you want more of me, check out House of Carbs going up at some point late tonight after, I don't know, Kyle's pulling an all-nighter tonight. And then the rewatchables on Thursday. The Firm, Chris Ryan's Wilford Brimley impression is one for the ages. It's really great. I recommend it just for that. Uh, We will see you on Thursday with one more episode of the BS Podcast.